Today, many hospitals are once again getting back into the medical practice business game. How can you come out ahead this time? You need to win the medical practice game on the revenue side. According to Halley Consulting Group, there are eight network-wide initiatives that are crucial to win. Welcome to the Business of Medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Caskell. Joining me today is Mark Halley, founder of the Halley Consulting Group. Mark has served as its president and chief executive officer since 1995. The company was the culmination of many years of providing practice management and consulting services to various specialties, including hospital-owned primary care networks. Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you, Larry. Pleasure to be here. So it looks like they're at it again. I've read that the definition of insanity is repeating the same thing over and over, hoping for a better outcome. <laughs> and it sounds like the hospitals are once again insane. Well, they learned, those who at least tried to divest of their practices or starved their owned networks between about 1998 and the early 2000s, that as they did so, they lost market share. Yeah, I was a victim in 2001. My hospital divested, fired all the doctors, and now, again, eight years later, they're scrambling. Everybody's getting back into the business this time, not just on the primary care side, but more and more specialty practices are either being acquired or specialists being employed by hospitals. And what kind of money are you seeing being paid by I know it's different for every specialty, but what are hospitals paying? I imagine they're not paying the big bucks they paid 10 years ago, but are they paying one times revenue, two times revenue, or how is it calculated? Well, generally, Larry, what we're seeing in most markets, hospitals are tending to buy tangible assets only. Sometimes they'll buy discounted receivables, but frequently it's tangible assets only. On occasion, they'll pay 3 to $7 per chart, but there's very little goodwill, as you mentioned, the blue sky, the goodwill portions that were being paid in the early to mid-90s are just not present yet. We anticipate that as markets become more competitive, the goodwill component will come back into play. So why would a physician sell his practice on the cheap? Well, right now, many physicians are looking to get out of the administrative side of the business. They're concerned about what they see on the payer side. They're concerned about the increasing costs of staffing and the complexity of the business, and some are just tired of it and want out. They want to be able to practice the clinical side of medicine and stay out of the business side if they can. And Mark, what has changed on the hospital side? How have they learned to manage these practices? What have they learned in the last 10 years? Well, those practices that stayed in the business since the mid-90s, many of them have learned to control the losses, work with their physicians to improve performance, although many practices, I might say safely most practices that are hospital-owned still lose some money. But uh, many are still making the same mistakes that they made back in the late 80s, early 90s. Uh, what are those mistakes? I mean, I remember just having enormous bureaucracy, enormous levels of management. Yes, and there are a number of mistakes that were made by hospitals from paying too much, which we've already alluded to right. early on, to overbuilding. We just throw more and more physicians into a marketplace without paying attention to demand. We see a lot of hospitals increasing the cost of doing business, putting physicians on high base salary instead of an eat-what-you-treat compensation model and adding benefit costs to support staff, adding occupancy costs by increasing rents and a whole myriad of challenges like that. Mark, running a medical practice, it's a terrible business model. I mean, our overhead is consumed by labor. And so 
I don't know why they would want to get into the business, but let's say they're getting into the business. You came out with a special supplement for the HFMA talking about how to win the medical practice game this time, and you have eight factors. So why don't we start with the first one? That sounds good, and we do have eight revenue factors. Let me just mention that hospitals, and I've been a hospital executive in the past and a health system executive, when we used to get into trouble financially, we would always focus on the expense side of the income statement. Hospitals have a tendency to do that same thing when they get into the ambulatory business, into the medical practice business. And, of course, that rule doesn't work in the medical practice business. Instead, we went on the medical practice side by looking at the revenue side of the income statement. And there are eight factors that we look at, as you mentioned. The first one is what we call volume capacity mix, meaning do we have the right number of physicians for the potential patient population? Or have we overdoctored an area? So making sure that we match up what's going on in the marketplace with the number of physicians we put in that market area. Secondly is payer mix. Every private practice physician has to watch his or her payer mix. And hospitals that own practices need to do the same. Mark, I need to jump in just to let our listeners know that if they've just tuned in, they're listening to The Business of Medicine on ReachMD XM157. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill. My guest today is Mark Halley, founder and CEO of Halley Consulting Group. And we're learning today about eight critical factors that a hospital really needs to know to survive if they get back into the medical practice game. Mark, you talked about payer mix, and doesn't that have a lot to do with location, location, location? It does. Managing the locations of our medical practices, particularly primary care, which tend to capture the market share that fill the specialty practices and the, uh, the hospital inpatient and outpatient services, very critical. If we're serving an area that has, for example, a high Medicaid population, we need to gear a practice to meet the needs of that special population. Other practices may need to manage the percentage allocated to various payers across their profile to create a portfolio that allows the practice to survive. That's what has to happen in private practice settings. Mark, as you mentioned that, I think of mission statements that most hospitals have. I think many of them have something that is actually to serve their local population, yet they forget that when they start looking at the payer mix. Right. Sometimes that's a, a difficult challenge. The correct principle we try and teach is never turn a patient away. In other words, we try and create alternatives that can better meet the needs of patients who are unable to pay. And that's actually good business because if patients aren't able to get access to primary care, for example, they'll end up much sicker in the emergency department at a much higher cost. So it's good business to pay attention to how we move patients and provide access to primary care. While at the same time, in a majority of our practices still managing that payer mix, we may designate certain practices in the right part of town along bus routes to make them accessible to patients who don't have the ability to pay. Do any hospitals use the concept of loss leader anymore, or do they not allow any losses and they just cut them off immediately? Well, I'm not privy to hospital or health system thought process as I used to be, but at least among those that we work with, clients that we work with, there's still a strong sense of mission. And again, that mission ends up having a strong financial indicator as well, simply because we don't want sicker and sicker patients trying to treat our emergency rooms as primary care sites. Let's move on to the third crucial element. 
yes, many organizations don't pay attention to fees anymore. And obviously, having the correct fees is critical for a hospital-owned practice. We don't want to leave any money on the table, and so we want to make sure that we take a look at what our payers are reimbursing and make sure that we capture those dollars that are legitimately available. We also want to make sure that we don't price ourselves out of the market, if you will, so that our write-offs become so high that it becomes disheartening to try and manage the practice. So making sure the fees are accurate, given the the locale is critical. The fourth element is provider productivity, and you had mentioned earlier the eat what you treat. Out in the trenches, we call it eat what you kill, which doesn't sound as nice. <laughs> but are the, are the hospitals incentivizing their physicians? Because I don't think they did that the first time around. Well, they just guaranteed them a salary, and, right. and they, they lost their shirts. And productivity dropped 25%. We see less of that this time around. There's a lot more discussion around productivity models. Unfortunately, sometimes hospitals think that if they have a 10% kicker at the end of the year, they've got adequate incentive for a physician. And in our experience in developing compensation models and implementing them, physicians have to feel the sense of reward coming from their behavior literally on a monthly basis so that incentives almost like private practice. I work hard this month, I see it in my paycheck next month, becomes the key. But many times when we're talking with physicians who are employed by hospitals, they'll say to me, Hallie, all you want us to do is work harder. And I say, well, yes. Uh, I don't know any private practicing physicians today that aren't working much harder for the same amount of money they were making two years ago. The nature of the business has forced that upon us at this point, at least. All right, Mark, what's number five? Five is relationship management. Again, real, real critical to make sure that we are sensitive to, if I'm a primary care provider, my customer being the patient and manage that relationship with the patient and that my policies and procedures are focused on that patient-physician relationship, patient-practice relationship. If I'm a specialist, I have at least two different types of customers I have to be concerned about. One, of course, being Mrs. Smith or her children, who is the patient. The second, very importantly, being my primary care physician. How do I meet the needs, wants, and priorities of my referring physicians? And not leaving that to chance, but rather focused on it, thinking about it frequently in a practice setting. We're running dangerously low on time, so let's speed up and do numbers six, seven, and eight. I know six you have as coding and documentation and I think electronic medical records should help in that arena by helping the physician pick the code, the proper code, and actually create a charge instead of it getting lost. That's correct. And we tend to undercode and underdocument for billing purposes. And that's probably enough said there. Paying attention to our coding, especially if we're on a compensation model that looks at work RVUs, for example, which are tied to the CPT codes, makes a lot of sense. Certainly, receivables management, a lot of hospitals don't do a great job of managing receivables on the ambulatory side. Again, it's a different business. Are they outsourcing or using new types of programs? Well, some are outsourcing using web-based software. The most important thing is to get it out of the CBO, the hospital's central billing office, have it managed through the network itself. Right. needs to be worked daily. Right. That's right. Daily. And the final item is service mix. Service mix means to hospitals letting the practices still run with the ancillary services that would normally be found in private practice Mm -hmm. rather than stripping those ancillaries out, which was a major mistake in the 
past decade. 25 to sometimes 30% of net patient revenue or collectible dollars is related to ancillaries. So this time around, they're letting the private practices hold on to it? Some of them are. But again, the majority, I would dare say, are still making the same mistake of trying to strip those ancillaries out and push it into the hospital. What's your idea of what's going to happen this time around? If they take our eight criteria and implement effectively and get out of the way of their employed physicians, I think they'll find that their employed physicians can operate just as effectively as those who are in private practice. And in fact, if they're not, one has to ask the question, why not? Well, Mark Halley of Halley Consulting, thank you very much for talking with me today. My pleasure. I'm Dr. Larry Caskell, and you've been listening to The Business of Medicine on ReachMD XM157. To comment or listen to our full library of on-demand podcasts, please visit us at ReachMD.com. You can also reach us by phone with your comments and suggestions at 888-MD-XM157. And thank you for listening.